okay, content warning or trigger warning. Um, we will be discussing rated R movies in this podcast, so there may be some language not suitable for children included, and trigger warning for gore. There's a lot of gore in these films, so um, if we talk about that in detail and you can't stomach that, just click off and maybe watch a different episode. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Augusta University Media Production Club podcast. This is the first episode, and today we have Professor Matthew Bazell of the Department of Art and Design. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here with you both. It is awesome to be here. Yeah. So um, there is a double feature on Saturday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I can tell you a little something about that. Um, Besides being the associate professor of film in the Department of Art and Design, I'm also the director of programming for the cinema series at Augusta University. And that is our ongoing screening series um, that happens throughout the academic year where we screen all kinds of wonderful films, independent films, documentaries, classic films, uh, cult films, um, you name it. And we screen these for students, faculty, and staff, and of course the community here in Augusta every year, right around the same time on near Halloween, uh, we do a double or sometimes triple feature of classic horror films. And this year we are screening two by one of the indisputed masters of horror cinema, Mr. John Carpenter. And we are screening at 7 p.m. The Thing, from 1982, and at 9 p.m., The Fog from 1980. Um, We also have some other fun things happening that night. We're going to show some vintage horror film trailers, and we have some giveaways. We have some brand new cinema series swag, uh, some of which will go to students in costumes, and some of which will go to students uh, that show up early. So, Uh, If you want to get some of this new Cinema Series swag, it features our brand new logo. Um, Be sure to be there. Well, I know someone will definitely be showing up in a costume. That's great. Well, you know, the thing is, is you you know, if you have a big night planned on Saturday, and a lot of people do, it's a big go out on the town night. The cool thing is, is um, you can come to the seven o'clock screening and still go out on the town or you can stay for both, Mm -hmm. you know. It's a, it's always fun, and it's one of our most popular events. So how did you land on the thing in the fog? You know, that's a really good question. Um, we've done so many different types of horror films over the last 10 years, and some of them, they've, they all kind of skew towards uh, cult films, meaning films that were not necessarily huge successes, when they were originally released, or their films that flew under the radar, or their international films whose reputation has built over a number of years. And um, it gets more and more difficult every year to find films that I think will play well, uh, films that um, perhaps stand the test of time and aren't uh, offensive in any way. You know, time is making us 
uh, look at our culture and our art in a different way. And so there is, uh, even with horror films, I, I have to be very careful in choosing the films that we screen. Uh, I've never shown any films by John Carpenter. Uh, I've had a few requests. And so I'm always, I'm always looking. I'm always looking at films, trying to figure them out. It's not an easy process. Sarah, it's very, very difficult work. <laughs> Keeps me up at night. I'm not joking. I can only imagine. Um, if it wasn't the fog or the thing, what other options would there have been? Well, I'll tell you, I was working on trying to screen George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1979, I think, or is it 77? I can't remember which year that film came out. It might be 78. If anybody wants to look it up for me, that would be great. But that would be George Romero's sequel to the 1968 Night of the Living Dead. And it's an incredible film. Uh, and like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead has um, a lot on its mind. It's more than just a zombie film. It's a film that has something to say about the state of American culture in the late 1970s. It has a lot to say about materialism. Um, so, uh, but unfortunately, that film is kind of um, in a bit of a, a knot in terms of its rights. And so tracking down the rights proved to be very difficult. And then once I did, um, the company that has those rights uh, was not particularly responsive uh, to my request. And granted, we're, you know, when I was chasing after these rights, it's still at a time when many people are still working from home. Uh, theaters aren't open in certain parts of the country. So I'm not surprised that I didn't get a response from, from this particular uh, rights owner. But uh, it's always in the back burner for next year. So it was 1978. It was. Yes, okay. I looked it up. I don't, I don't just know that off the top of my head. Okay. Well, you um, could always pretend. Of course. I don't want to sound It is radio. Though. They can't see you um, on your phone. <laughs> that is true. But um, that was 1978. Um, what are, about Halloween in general, What's is that your favorite part? Is that the cinema screening or is there something else that you do every year? What, what, what do you mean? Is it doing the horror films every year? Is that my favorite event? You know, it, it, it is and it isn't. Um, I, like the, I, like, I like the screening events that have multiple films. And so in January uh, or early February, we always have um, our Oscar-nominated short films where we show each and every Oscar-nominated short film. And those are three different programs. So we'll have... Uh, a live action program block, we'll have a documentary program block, and we'll have an animated film program block. And we've been doing this for about, I want to say about eight years now. We've had this great relationship with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and Magnolia Pictures, and that allows us to bring those programs to you. Um, those are always a lot of fun because um, uh, they usually bring out uh, a, a nice size audiences. And then there's always that ability to sit down and watch the Academy Awards. And when it comes around to some of those short film categories, you can actually say, I I've seen that. Um, and so I love those. And then in the spring, we always do a big event where we do a full Saturday, all day focus on uh, some form of cinema. And traditionally in the past, we focused on international cinema. So 
uh, let's say in the past we had one day where we had all films from France or all films from Japan or all films from Italy. And, um, but this year we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do films that are linked to jazz. So we're going to do, uh, uh, we're going to have some documentaries about jazz and jazz musicians, some performance films, but we're also going to have some narrative films that have a um, significant jazz soundtrack or significant jazz score. So, um, and we're going to try to do some extra special things too um, between the films. So in the past, we've had, we've had food and drink and performance. And I think this year we're going to try to at least have some live music as well. So lots in the work works mm -hmm. for that event. And that'll be uh, in April. Okay. So what's your favorite thing about Halloween? Gosh, that's a really good question. Well, you know, um, it's not trick-or-treating anymore. Um, as much as I, I loved trick-or-treating, and it's not making my own costume anymore. I, I haven't done that much of late. I did a few years ago. I had a pretty nice costume. But um, it's the cinema series for me. I mean, it's kind of my big event, um, and it's fun to you know, hunker down in the theater and watch a couple of films back to back and watch some, some uh, you know, pretty wacky film trailers and, you know, just socialize a little bit. It's, it's you know, it's a fun event. And that's really what, what the Halloween programming is about. I mean, let's, I'll be honest, sometimes we have shown some pretty serious films. For example, when we showed uh, Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's film, that's a, you know, yes, that's a horror film. It's a zombie film. It's also a pretty um, intense cultural mirror, you know, of what uh, was happening in our country in uh, 1968. There are some uh, there's some major cultural significance uh, tied to that film, and there's a lot of things that um, are pretty deep and pretty meaning if you look at that film in a, in a sincere way. But uh, but primarily the Halloween screenings are are kind of a fun time. Let your hair down a little bit. Wear a costume. You know, scream a little bit. Um, Do you enjoy those kind of deeper meaning movies? Because it seems like from what you've been saying, a lot of these movies that you select have like a uh, kind of meaning that can be related back to our society as a whole. Is this like something that you look for when you select films or is it just something that just... It is. It is something that I look for because... I think the cinema series functions as uh, something unique and special. There is nothing wrong with going to the movies for escapism. I go to the, to the movies for escapism, and I love popcorn movies. I love going to them. But I like to balance that out, too, with films that uh, reflect who we are, that reflect our culture, that make me think and feel or challenge me. And those films, by and large, don't make it to the, the multiplexes. And so the cinema series offers something a little bit different. It offers that, that balance. And there are a lot of incredible, thoughtful filmmakers at work all around the world. Um, and many of their films kind of vanish into the ether. And uh, I'm trying to do my part to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean... I, I personally think that those kind of films are the most interesting ones because at the end of the day, if you don't talk about the film afterwards, what's the point of going to see the film? 
if there's not a deeper meaning that you can't discuss or that doesn't challenge you to really think outside the box, then there's not, it was it really a successful film. I mean, a lot of the films these days that are really popular are films that are enjoyable. They're good techniques and shots and those sorts of things, but they're just fun. And once you watch them once, there's no real point to watch it again because you've seen the movie. There's no deeper way to think about it. And that's sad for me because as a person who likes to really think about things and think about the deeper meaning behind things, I'm really enjoying the cinema series and the fact that it gives me the opportunity to see films that has a deeper meaning to it. Well, you just made my day. That's exactly what I love to hear. That's exactly why the cinema series exists. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us a little bit about the, the thing in the fog. Like, not obviously not spoilers, but like what can people expect if they haven't seen them before? And well, what kind of questions should they be asking themselves after the film is oh finished? Oh my gosh, these are impossible questions. <laughs> um, well, let me just, I'll just say this. Um, I think I should really just mention a little something about John Carpenter. And John Carpenter is, uh, you know, we think of him now as, you know, for those people that are kind of um, film enthusiasts, um, in particular horror film enthusiasts, you know, John Carpenter's up there on this m mantle of horror masters. But the truth is, is that John Carpenter is, um, he's a director, yes. He's a screenwriter, yes. He's a composer of music as well. But he's really an independent filmmaker. And he's a filmmaker that came out of that early 1970s tradition uh, that really kind of launched the new Hollywood era, uh, where we saw um, kind of the old guard of Hollywood's kind of being shifted aside and younger voices kind of stepping up to the foreground uh, and shaping American cinema kind of from the sidelines with independent productions that then proved themselves at the box office. So, so John Carpenter began his career uh, with a couple of films, um, neither of which were horror. One of them was a science fiction film, Dark Star, uh, and the other was um, a thriller. So um, um, more of a kind of a, I don't want to say action thriller, but, um, you know, and then, of course, in 1978, he directed Halloween. And Halloween was a tiny, low-budget, independent film. Um, and it set the box office ablaze. And so what he accomplished with that little film is, is pretty significant. Um, and then he was able to continue to work as an independent, but he also was able to work with um, some of the major studios as well. And um, The Fog is uh, one of those independent films. It was not a successful film. And in some regards, Carpenter has said that it's perhaps um, his most his least gratifying film. Um, and this is a film that required a lot of reshoots, but it did pretty well at the box office when it was originally re released. And it, and, but it didn't do gangbusters business. This is one of those films whose reputation has grown over time. And, you know, to be honest, it's not my favorite John Carpenter film. Yeah. Um, but it's a film that many people love because they remember seeing it back in the day or they remember seeing it on late night television. Um, and it's very much of its era. Uh, it's a great looking film. 
And if you go into the fog with, um, you know, you're not going in for high art. You're going in for thrills and atmosphere. You're going to be rewarded with thrills and atmosphere. I think it's a really great atmospheric looking film. And it kind of has a callback to the horror comics, mm. yeah, horror yeah. comic books from, say, the 1950s and 1960s. And that would have been the, the you know, John Carpenter's childhood. So this is kind of his ode to childhood comic books. Now, the thing, on the other hand, is um, I, I think The Thing is a pretty significant film. And there's a few things to know about The Thing. The Thing is based on a 1951, essentially a remake of a 1951 science fiction film called The Thing from Another World that was produced by Howard Hawks. Um, and Howard Hawks was a filmmaker, um, a producer whose films um, Carpenter admired growing up. And so this is a film that he loved as a kid that once his career, you know, reached a certain intersection, he was able to make, uh, do this remake of. Um, and this is a film that had um, most of the trappings of a studio picture. This is a huge budgeted film for him. And um, the film did well critically, but it didn't do very well at the box office. This was a film that was released in the summer. And it was released um, opposite E.T. of all films, um, which was a huge summer hit. So The Thing is one of those films that, um, you know, has long legs. Um, but it's also a film that has, um, you know, it has a kind of a Cold War paranoia that's kind of um, injected into the storyline. That's one of the things that I think makes the film relevant today. Um, yes, yes, it's a horror film. Um, yes, yes, it's a science fiction film. But there is something in there um, uh, that has something to say about, um, you know, how we look at each other, how we treat each other, how information uh, circulates. So there's, there is something a little bit more to the thing. And it's a much beloved film. I know a lot of people that are excited to come and see the thing on the big screen. And the good news is for both of these films, we're going to be showing um, recent uh, 4K restorations of them. Um, so the films are going to look great. And if you have memories of seeing them on late night television or on uh, cable, it's not going to look like that. It's going to, they're going to look uh, as good as they possibly can. Okay. Beautiful, okay. I might say. And I do want to, um, actually, I love the fact that you talked on Halloween um, from John John. Carpenter and the fact that he made that movie and the fact that his legacy from making that movie in 1970 is still continuing to this day with the most recent um I don't Halloween kills yes and I mean that just goes to show how much how up there he is and how his how his ideas from so long ago is still ingrained in our society and our community as a whole um and I mean yes his ideas were good but how I kind of want to touch on how the films were then compared to now. I there's a there's a very big difference in them in the sense that back then there was it felt like there was more meaning behind them, like there was a lot more thought put into them rather than the films that are done now are very poorly done in my opinion. And 
I mean, is that your take on them? Have you seen the recent ones on that? No, I haven't. I haven't seen the the recent Halloween films. Um, I'm not really um, a big fan of contemporary horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few that I've seen that I think are effective, and I'm, I'll try to think of them off the top of my head. I'm thinking of uh, uh, a film called It Follows from a few years ago. Um, that does have something that you can find in it that has a, a deeper, you know, interpretive possibility. Uh, I'm also thinking of a, a pretty brilliant but shocking film called Under the Skin that starred Scarlett Johansson um, mm-hmm. that is a completely terrifying um, film in an almost a Stanley Kubrick's I, I way. Watching but that. it's that was... so wildly open to interpretation. Yeah. I really love that film. But, you know, to be honest, um, the original Halloween is not a deep cinematic experience. Um, and I saw that film unbelievably when it came out um, in 1977 78, or 78. I would have been 13, too young. And um, my aunt took me to see that. And I don't think my parents would have been cool <laughs> with that. But it scared me. Um, it really scared me. It terrified me. And it still has that power to scare me. But what's so um, interesting about that particular film is that, yes, there is violence, there is gore in that film, but it's not gratuitous. Mm -hmm. And today we're so used to um, potentially gratuitous uh, uh, violence and gore in horror cinema. And... um, you know, I, I guess my I veered off the path of having any kind of interest in contemporary horror film really um, in the 90s and early two, late 90s and early 2000s when you saw films like Saw or Hostel, um, films that portrayed human suffering and mm-hmm, torture. Mm-hmm. Though, though, that's not horror to me. Um, that's that's just exploitation, and I, I I really think that kind of kind of ruined horror cinema you know also the jump scare is also kind of you know it's kind of a you know they're fun i'm the guy in the theater when a jump scare happens i'm the guy who screams (laughs) i mean literally scream popcorn flying everywhere and then everybody laughs at me that's me yeah jump scares are just easy i feel like they're just too easy to do they're yes they're expected we're we've grown so accustomed to them like for me when i watch a horror film these days you can tell when a jump scare is coming up and I mean, I guess our our for us, we're so desensitized desensitized to horror that it's just it's you have to figure out something else to do. Well, and you know, for me, I, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I went to go see uh, it mm-hmm, in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Loved loved it. And in the opening scene, we see these little eyes down in the sewer, and this little voice coming out of the sewer. It's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, they revealed the monster, mm-hmm. and it was no longer terrifying the more and more you saw it, and they kept trying to make it more terrifying by adding more teeth or, you know, but it didn't have the same effect. And so for me, it's it's not what you see that's scary. It's what you can't see that's mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. It's when you're in that dark room and there's just some little strange sound and you don't know where it's coming from. That's scary. Yeah, I that. think films try to resolve things. You know, they just try to have, like, they try to solve these puzzles when what's really terrifying is when you can't solve it. 
you know, they like to have all this wrapped up in a bow. And, you know, they like to humanize characters. They almost want people to to be on the side of the villain or the antagonist, you know. And they try so hard for that because they want that kind of discourse of people fighting, you know. No, I hate the villain. No, I love the villain, you know. And they, it's, I think it's just a ploy. I mean, that kind of ties into a lot of these anti-hero Venom, for example. And the n- more recent one coming up, Morbius, they're really humanizing villains. And that's just a callback to our culture. What we're doing, we're trying to make sure everyone feels accepted in a sense. And everyone includes villains or bad guys. And you really see that in cinema and series, uh, movies these days and how they're taking characters that we grew up or older people grew up hating because they were bad or the enemies of their heroes. And now you have people growing up saying, hey, I loved Venom. I want to go see Venom or I want to grow up to be up like Venom. And it's just a completely different perspective from um, in the 1980s and that sort of stuff. I think it has to. I think it has to do a lot with the generational divide, um, you know, between older people and like consumers now. It's it's what kind of. What do you mean by older people? <laughs> I just mean hey, hey. people who grew up with these like independent films that like blew up so so large, and you know, it's always the villain is the villain, and it's clear cut and it's it's simple but it's good like it's it's easy to hate the villain and that's what they wanted and that's how it was supposed to be and now they're trying um i think it's i think it's just the nature of of younger people to kind of like go against the grain and it's it they're trying to capitalize on that and they're doing it very poorly very poorly well the great news is is that it'll probably change we're always changing and entertainment is always changing. And as our society changes and as our culture changes, you'll see that reflected in cinema. So um, just hang on. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get out of the tunnel. Yeah. I think in Eventually. 20, 30 years, <laughs> it'll, probably fil- it'll probably flip I mean, back. Considering these movies came out 40 years ago, wow. it'll take another 40 years for, for that to happen. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. Quite possibly. Quite. You know what? In 40 years, I probably won't be here. <laughs> um, well, that's wow. not what I meant to bring up, but okay. <laughs> that's that's scary. That's happy Halloween for you. Oh, man, we're taking a dark <laughs> turn for this Halloween film thing. Oh, my goodness. Um, But you were going to – we have a question or anything to ask? Um, Out of The Thing in the Fog, which one is your favorite? That's pretty easy. Okay. Yeah. That's it's the thing. The thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I personally enjoyed the thing. I originally didn't get into the thing. I only recently watched it. And largely the reason I watched it was because of a video game called Among Us. And Among Us is actually based off the thing in a sense because in that video game you have a whole crew of people. And there are two people who are aliens or creatures that go around killing the crew, which is basically almost the exact same premise of the thing and when someone told me about that i was like really they have a movie based off this and that kind of piqued my interest to go watch the movie and see what it was like now you know there was another the thing movie in 2008 Mm -hmm. um that's really kind of the prequel to this film um and it's actually not bad i considered programming that as well and then it would be the thing and the thing, <laughs> but and that might confuse people, so mm-hmm. I decided not to do that. Yeah, well, there's also the book that the thing is based off. Absolutely, um, by John Campbell. So, if you're interested in learning more about 
I guess what it's based off. I mean, like, just more of the lore, I guess. I guess you could read that. Um, I haven't read the book. And, I mean, for me, horror books are kind of difficult to do because there's just... I, I find it, them it, so much easier. Because, like, you can control this... You can, Like, I know you can always pause a video. But it's easier to close a book than it is to pause it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's easier to just... Like, you know when it's coming and it, you don't have... I, I don't know if that makes any sense. But it's easier for me to read a horror book than it is to list, or to watch a horror film. I'm not a huge fan of horror. Like, I watched it and I was buried in my friend's shoulder the whole time. <laughs> well, then um, the filmmaker succeeded. So, yeah. Yeah, at they... getting me not to watch it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was... Um, the Thing in the Fog, I think, were much easier to watch but the fog especially because it was just so easy to laugh at <laughs> it's well that's part of that's part of the, the the joy of some older films right that there's there there is fun there is humor right we can they don't take themselves too seriously you know the thing is a little bit more of a serious grounded horror film um, but the fog is, you know, it has its roots in, in comic book culture. Mm -hmm. And so it is a little bit, it, a, a good bit lighter. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you don't have, and, and many of the characters are, are just that they're caricatures. So you can, you can laugh at them. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. The archetypes are very clear yeah. in the fog. Okay. So I'm going to have to wrap out of here in a minute, yep. but I would just love to invite all of your listeners if. They're still out there, <laughs> if I haven't put them to sleep yet, that the cinema series is screening uh, The Thing and The Fog on Saturday, October the 30th at 7 p.m. for The Thing and 9 p.m. for The Fog. Uh, it's free for students, faculty, and staff of Augusta University. It's also free for the community. Uh, and we have some great giveaways for students some brand new cinema series swag. Costumes are encouraged. We're also gonna be showing some pretty great vintage horror film trailers. And we'll probably have some pretty cool horror film, film music playing out in the lobby as well. The good news is that if you don't like horror films, the cinema series will be back on Thursday, November 18th with our final film of the semester. And that is Sweet Thing by Alexandra Rockwell, which is an incredible gem of an American independent film. This is a film that kind of got lost in the shuffle of the pandemic. Um, it's a film that pretty much everybody missed. But I'll tell you, your good friend Quentin Tarantino loves it mm -hmm. and has championed this little film. It has a lot of heart. And I think it's kind of the perfect film um, to see before we head off into our Thanksgiving break. Okay, that's right. it. I got nothing yeah. else. Yeah. I'm done. Well, All right. You did a great job. Thank yeah. you very much. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I'd love to come back on another time. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when we, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. Is there anything else you need? Uh, no, I think we're good. You've been listening to the AU Media Production Club podcast, episode one. Thank you so much. Special thanks to Professor Bazell. George, Darius, Brianna, Nate, Sarah, um, the Cinema Series, and of course, Augusta University, who makes all of this possible. Go Jags!